Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the Pinnacle Health Women's Cancer Center, delivering preventive, diagnostic, surgical, medical, and chemotherapy services to women with gynecologic cancer or other conditions related to the reproductive systems. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org WCC. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The recent news of drug overdose deaths is startling. Earlier this month, Lancaster County had 23 overdoses and three deaths over a weekend. Three died in York County in a span of five hours. Philadelphia saw 35 overdose deaths in five days. It's an opioid crisis the likes of which we may have never have seen. It cuts across all communities and demographics. Most of the deaths are heroin-related. But there's a new aspect to it that is making heroin even more dangerous, fentanyl. There's a lot to talk about today. Joining us on the program, Deb Beck, president of Drug and Alcohol Service Providers Organization of Pennsylvania. Deb Beck, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Jason Snyder, Special Assistant to Pennsylvania Secretary of Human Services. Mr. Snyder, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Scott. Glad to be here. Uh, York County Assistant District Attorney David Sunday, who has been very instrumental in fighting this uh, in in York County and throughout South Central Pennsylvania. David Sunday, welcome to the show again. Good morning, Scott. And Ben Allen, WITS Transforming Health reporter, who has been uh, covering this issue for some time now, too. And uh, Ben's always good to have you on the program. Always good to be with you, Scott. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. That is the number to call. Or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, David Stone, you want to start with you because, you, well, all of you see this on the ground. Uh, but you see this from several different aspects, not just law enforcement, but, but you've been working with uh, drug enforcement uh, task force in, in, in your county. What's with this rash of overdose deaths? Well, first of all, in, in preparation for today's show, I was curious about a number that I think will most likely answer that question, or at least put us in a, a framework where we can discuss it intelligently. And that is, in your county so far this year, over a, around 60% of all the heroin overdose deaths included in the toxicology some form of fentanyl. 60%? Over 60%. So most of them. That. Yes, so most of them. And so most of the heroin overdose deaths did have fentanyl in the toxicology once the uh, that came back after the autopsy was conducted. And, and, and that's that's a good point that, that uh, uh, Dave makes here, Scott, and one that I think, you know, we should really key on, not only as, as members of the media, but the public should really key on, is that in a lot of these cases, it's not... Um, and, and and your county deserves credit for how they have handled the corner there. Pam Gay has been mm -hmm. so great in digging down into what is actually killing people. Um, a lot of uh, coroners uh, across the state may simply say, this is a heroin overdose, and, and, and leave it as, at that. Um, but... In, in your county, they have actually drilled down and, and, and look at the each individual uh, drug that's in each person's system. And when you say fentanyl, that really changes the conversation because fentanyl is a, is a 
while it is related to heroin, it's a it's a different beast. It's a cutting agent. It comes through to the country in a different way. Um, it, it gets into the pipeline in a different way, and the 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 ways of fighting it are a little bit different than they would be for heroin. And we can talk a and little bit about we're, that. We're going to yeah. talk about that. You when you you know something just for background purposes, Ben, that you just mentioned that a lot of people may not realize when you talk about fentanyl coming into the United States, uh, the chemicals for fentanyl that go into fentanyl, uh, most of them are manufactured in China, make their way into the United States through Mexico and Canada, but we have uh, a lot of people here that are manufacturing it. Uh, Deb Beck, let me bring you uh, into this conversation because um, you see many of these people when they are in treatment and you hear from your clients out there that are treating people who uh, have addiction problems. Uh, first of all, I'll go back to the basic question that I asked Dave Sunday. Why do you think that we're seeing this rash of deaths? And what about fentanyl? Are you seeing that increase? Yeah, indeed we are. And I, just a, a couple of comments. And first, thank you so much for continuing, Ben, and you all for continuing the focus. This is the only thing that's going to make the change is the public awareness the um, one of the things that concerns us, and I, I just want to reference a couple documents. Kaiser had published a report recently that said it isn't true that most of the patients that they interviewed. We deal with families every day here looking for help, by the way, but most of the people report that their source is not off the street, that it is still coming from the physician, and typically with no education to the patient about any of these products, about how dangerous they are. Well, let me, That's, uh, let me go a little further. Well, Deb, the, can uh, I interrupt you for just one second? Because, you know, one thing that uh, we, we'll be talking about fentanyl throughout the program, but just to let people know that this is a painkiller that is still right. prescribed. Bingo. That, that's right. And now that makes a piece of legislation that went through under Senator Yaw really important, where he, the bill basically says if you're going to use these drugs, you have to know something about them. But I want to go further than that. There has been a deliberate media campaign by the manufacturers of these drugs to lower what is called in the, in the prevention area perception of risk so that doctors no longer are hesitant to prescribe. It's, if anyone doesn't think the free enterprise system works, take a look at this and read Dreamland and some of the other pieces of research that have been done by the media and others. There's a deliberate advertising campaign to lower the perception of risk, and it's worked very well. Doctors now prescribe, and we're in the process of trying to help them learn to limit who they prescribe to, to people who have severe pain, terminal cancer, whatever. But there's a deliberate and very effective campaign that went on here for 20 years to get people to use these substances in a way that we never did before. And we had Oxycontin, now we've got, it, we've got the Oxycontin fentanyl, there's another one coming. We've got to change the perception of risk. And I, I also have to say, here's a, if anyone thinks law enforcement isn't prevention, this is also, I think, you know, sometimes people try to draw a difference. Law enforcement is prevention if they can cut supply. But if Kaiser's correct, and that most of the people they interviewed uh, were getting their supply from doctors, it tells you we have a tremendous remedial education job with doctors to do, but also we've got to stop the drug companies, our, our legal drug companies here in America, from this devastatingly successful advertising campaign. they got to, they got to knock it off. It is absolute. Let me tell you, 3,383 Pennsylvanians died in 2015, and I'm looking at the Surgeon General's report, for nationally, 47,000 died with oh, nearly 30,000, I'm reading from the report, it was an overdose involving a prescription drug. 
Mm. So, Jason Snyder, I want to bring you in here. Deb brought uh, up the, the state role in this, uh, the, the Wolf administration just recently, and uh, the entire legislature focused on this. You know, I don't use, I try not, I, I think one of the most overused words out there is crisis uh, in the media. Uh, I don't use that word very often, but enough people in positions like yours have called this a crisis that it seems like it is. Uh, but talk about the state role in this and is fentanyl on your radar? Well, certainly, Scott, this this is a crisis, the worst public health crisis that we have seen in the last 100 years. Uh, Deb's numbers clearly uh, define this as an epidemic, right? It is affecting a disproportionately large number of our community members. So by far the worst ever overdose death epidemic that we have seen in this state, in this country. Deb's numbers translate to 10 deaths a day, likely to see uh, many more when 2016 is tallied. And frankly, I don't really see a decreasing trend, uh, at least for the next three to five years. So I expect it to continue to get worse. But why? I mean, you know, we, Ben has been covering this for the last two years now. Uh, you know, the media has talked a lot about it. It has been one of the priorities of government. I mean, presidential candidates talked about it. Law enforcement talks about it. Obviously, people in Deb's position talk about it a lot. Why are more people dying, more people overdosing? I mean, that sounds like they've been educated. They know, but they're continuing to use. Well, I'd say a couple of things. We are reaping what was sowed over the past 20-plus years with overprescribing of prescription pain medication. And so the administration in partnership with the Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs, Department of Human Services has been doing a lot of different things to rein in the prescribing and to educate physicians. But I've often said, and I believe that even if we were to be able to stop the overprescribing right now, the market is so flooded with cheap, easily accessible heroin that uh, we're going to continue to see this flood of overdoses and people becoming addicted. And then when you throw in fentanyl, um, Dave and I were talking about this before we came on the air. When you have um, cartels and dealers pressing fentanyl into pills, for example, passing them off as oxycodone, if you're an oxycodone, if you're addicted to oxycodone, you get a pill that you believe to be oxycodone, but it is in fact fentanyl which, as I understand it, is a hundred times more powerful the than morphine, heroin yeah. mm -hmm, or yeah. morphine, you take that pill, the chances that you are going to overdose and die are great. And so uh, I think that the mess that was created over the last 20-plus years, uh, we have uh, a long way to go to clean it up. And even if we were to cut off the prescribing right now, we're still going to deal with the downstream effects of that. I could talk more about uh, what the administration's well, we're going role to. is. I want, I, want to, I want to talk about that a little bit later. But, Dave, what are you seeing on the street? I mean, when, when we, we've talked about this. We've said it many times that one of the reasons that heroin, uh, that there has been an increase in, in the use of heroin after so many pe people start with painkillers or prescribed drugs uh, is that it's cheap and it's available. What does heroin go for on the streets of York, for example, uh, I mean, if someone wanted to buy it, I don't even know what uh, quantities it comes in, but uh, give me an idea of, of how uh, cheap it is. 
Well, before well before we go into that, I want to take you back to the question that you asked with regard to why are people still dying? Why are more people dying now after these years of um, the media campaign and things of that nature? And I think to understand that question, you have to also and, – and I'm viewing this from a smaller level with regard to – on the countywide level. And when we attacked this problem, we sort of divided the people up into two groups. There are individuals who are currently in the throes of addiction. They're either, or they may be in recovery, but then you have a large group of people who have never used in their entire life. And all of the education and all of this outreach and everything that the fantastic things have been done by the media very well may have affected that group that have not used in an extremely positive manner. And in the world we live in where everyone needs instant gratification, the answer to that, we won't know that for 20 years because this is a generational issue. Turning now to the people that have been addicted, I think what's happening is the same amount of people are still going, they're still in recovery, they're still addictive. However, the heroin that's coming into York County is now even more potent than it was before. And so whereas someone had built up a tolerance where they were using heroin on a daily basis and it was not killing them, now that same supply that they're taking from, as indicated by our stats here, are full of fentanyl. And so the reality is, I think that this public awareness campaign is a absolute vital, wonderful thing. It cannot stop. And so our goal is to do everything we can to help the individuals that are currently in the throes of addiction and in recovery, but then also keep all the current young people from ever using in the first place. And so I just felt that that was an important point to make. And with regard to the price of heroin, one of the things that's interesting is in the last five years, the price for what's referred to as a bundle of heroin on the street has gone down by half. Really? It's gone down by half in the last four to five years. And a price drop of that magnitude is vital because that, I mean, that's basic economics to understand that not only has the quantity gone up, the supply has gone through the roof, the price has now been cut in half, and that same product is now more potent and deadlier. So when you say cut in half, give me an idea, ballpark figure of what someone pays. I would say for a bundle now, it's around forty dollars. And what uh, from eighty for, for a bundle, which and, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't. Really it's around picture. ten bags. Okay. Yep. So about four bucks a, a bag. Approximately, and now the issue with that is you compare that to someone who was using pills before that. Now you can on average buy one prescription pill on the black market for around $30 a pill. Mm. We're going to talk more about this, obviously, in just a moment. Take your phone calls. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about heroin usage, drug overdoses, and obviously a big part of our conversation today is fentanyl. And as Dave Sunday said earlier, 60% of uh, the drug overdose deaths that they found is heroin that has been laced with fentanyl. If you have a question or comment, we want you to join into this conversation. What's behind this rash of not just the overdose deaths, but uh, the increased use of heroin and drugs out there? one 800 729 
800-529-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, the phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Our guest, let me go down to the list. Deb Beck can't be with us the entire time. She's president of the Drug and Alcohol Service Providers Organization of Pennsylvania. Jason Snyder, a special assistant to Pennsylvania Secretary of Human Services. York County Assistant District Attorney David Sunday. And Transforming Health reporter Ben Allen here at WITF. 1-800-729-7532. So, Deb, I want to have you follow up on what Dave Sunday uh, had just said about you know, where we are right now, and I'm just going to have you kind of follow up, if you would. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm sorry. I just have a couple things I think your listeners need to know. That the producers of the OxyContin products are going to make, according to their numbers, not mine, $16 billion, with a B, on the sale of OxyContin products nationally. And, the, and plus this advertising campaign, I think they need to be held accountable for what has happened here. They should be paying their fair share and I think it's time we have to turn off the faucet, guys. Well, we well wait, turn Deb, off the let me interrupt you for just one second because I wanted to follow up with what you had said uh, the, the first time. When you say that uh, it, the, this is being marketed, in what form is fentanyl being marketed? I mean, I, I can't remember a television commercial for someone saying, you know, here's a painkiller, fentanyl, that uh, you can get a, as a prescription drug. Again, I would recommend the, the book Dreamland for the generic advertising campaign on the opiate products period, where people have gone into doctors' offices and told them that it's not true that this stuff is quickly addictive. There's a long, involved advertising campaign that actually started with Valium 20 years ago. But let me just say this. We've got to turn the faucet off. We can't just keep running after the problem. We've got to turn the faucet off, and I agree with my colleagues. At the same time, we've got people who now are already hooked, and I want to, we're going to have to go in both directions, turn off the faucet, do an education campaign for doctors and other health care providers and for just people in general like you're doing. And the third is we've got to provide treatment. We right now have 35 counties in the state of Pennsylvania that have no detoxification facilities for people to go in. That's crazy. I spent a large amount of time Sunday night looking for a detox facility for someone. It's not an unusual uh, occupation. What has happened is because of the the Medicaid expansion, which we're very grateful for from the Wolf administration, we just have people coming in for help all the time. The facilities are full most of the time. And we got this epidemic running over the top of us. But there ought to be walk-in detox capability available in a reasonable geographic area in the remaining 35 counties because people die if they can't get the detox, can't get it started. So I would say we've got to go in all directions. Now, this is going to get a little worse, I hate to say, because there's a federal rule in the process of being implemented that is going to cut revenue to addiction, part of addiction treatment in the new, new couple of years. It's just crazy. It's like government works against itself. The left hand and the right hand don't seem to know what they're doing. I'm talking federally. The federal government says $128 billion a year to not treat the problem and yet we don't spend anywhere near that amount on treatment or intervention or prevention services. Mm-hmm. All right, so you lead, that re- leads right into uh, Jason Snyder. The Centers for Excellence, 45 Centers for Excellence uh, here in, uh, in, in, in Pennsylvania, and you are heading up this, uh, this program. It kind of goes with just what Deb was talking about. Yes, we know we have a shortage of beds out there, treatment facilities. Talk about what the Wolf Administration, what the Centers for Excellence are doing. Sure. So I think that uh, just one other quick point. 
point to what we discussed over the last couple of minutes, why more people are dying and why people uh, are remaining addicted. We can't underestimate the power of an opioid addiction. My own experience with uh, addiction to prescription pain medication tells me that, and I consider myself very fortunate to have gotten the help when I did. Um, I'm not so uh, arrogant or naive as to believe that uh, had I not gotten that help when I got it, that I may very easily be on the same path as many of those who are using heroin intravenously today. So, and I, I wanted to tell your story a little bit later, too. Sure. So, so we can't underestimate this is a very, very, very powerful disease, and uh, treatment is absolutely critical. The Centers of Excellence, uh, Governor Wolf's signature response thus far, I would say, to the opioid epidemic really is aimed at doing two things, better initiating people into treatment and then keeping them engaged in treatment. So when we look at the Medicaid data, which uh, the Medicaid dollars flow through the Department of Human Services, we see that in 2014, of those people covered by Medicaid who were diagnosed with an opioid use disorder, only 48% initiated treatment, so about one in two, a little less than one in two. Of that 48%, only 33% remained engaged in treatment beyond 30 days. I would also say that of those folks covered by Medicaid who went to detox in 2014, 68% went no further. They okay, went to detox. Detox is different. Just for everyone to know, detox is different than going through treatment. Well, detox is typically the first step, first step in right. treatment. You've got to get clean before you can... That's right. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a taper from the drug that, uh, that, that is absolutely essential for someone who is in full-blown addiction to uh, opioids. Right. And so... When we see those numbers, we see that uh, we're not getting enough folks into treatment and we're not keeping them engaged long enough. And we know that length of stay and the continuum of treatment is directly correlated with recovery. And so the Centers of Excellence are 45 existing facilities across the Commonwealth. Sometimes folks uh, aren't exactly clear on what we mean by center. These are existing providers today. 26 of them are behavioral health providers, what we call behavioral health providers. In other words, they're licensed drug and alcohol uh, treatment centers. Some are duly licensed to also treat mental health. The other um, 19 are physical health providers. And so through these providers, through the half million dollars that each of these centers has received, we are looking to do three things to move the initiation and retention needle. Number one, we want to treat the whole person. Certainly we need to treat the addiction, but we know that there are, uh, in many cases, physical and or mental health issues underlying or driving the addiction. And so those folks who have uh, trauma in their background or in their childhood or in their early years uh, who are uh, remaining addicted largely, or at least in part because of that. We want to treat that as well as the addiction. So number one, treat the whole okay, person. Yeah, one or the other two? Number two, we're going to do that by creating community-based care management teams. The majority of the money that each center will receive goes to hire care management teams that include licensed and non-licensed professionals, uh, including certified recovery specialists, peer-to-peer. These community-based care management teams will 
meet individuals wherever they present in the system, ensure that they get a level of care assessment as quickly as possible, that they are moved to the appropriate level of care as quickly as possible, supported through the transition uh, of, of uh, the continuum of care, that they are also connected when it's appropriate to other social sort, uh, support services. And thirdly, we want to expand access to medication-assisted treatment as appropriate. Um, we know that for some individuals, medication to assist their treatment can keep them engaged longer. And as I said earlier, uh, length of stay in the continuum of care is directly related to success. Let me bring that up because that's something that Ben has covered over the years. And I know Deb has advocated for this as well. Length of stay. So many times, Ben, we've heard 28 days and then someone is is back out on on the street living their lives well well one of the things and i just want to clarify a little bit of what jason said there when when we talk about medication assisted treatment that's things like methadone where basically or suboxone where um you are getting a a smaller dose um that is not uh necessarily it can be um addictive but it's 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 the way, uh, you know, research has shown that is, in many cases, the most effective way to treat to treat people um, with this addiction. Uh, that is the mo- it's it doesn't feel right. You know, in your gut, it makes you feel weird in your gut. You're saying you're giving someone that's addicted to something the thing that they're addicted to and that and that that doesn't feel right you know i i've talked with people who when are you say addicted feel right meaning it sounds counterintuitive it, it, it sounds right. counterintuitive right. i've talked to people right. who are addicted who will say i'm not going to do that i'm not going to do methadone i'm not going to do suboxone but the research when you take the 30,000 foot view the research shows that that is the most effective way um, the most effective way to get someone clean I want to just kind of take a step back for a, a second Scott because we kind of got in the weeds here and kind of just set where we are with at the 30,000 foot view so a couple years ago this really enters people's radar right um, you know people start to pay more attention to the opiate crisis and the overdose crisis and the uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the efforts have been focused on a getting people treatment and as as Dave Sunday said in your county, making sure that people who are not involved with this in any way, educating them and trying to keep them um, away from from heroin or from opioids unless they're um, properly prescribed. But what has changed the dynamic? I would say over the past couple of months, and even maybe even the past year, is fentanyl. That that's kind of changed things because in the past, I got the sense that. You know, uh, policymakers felt if we continue our education efforts, we'll keep those people away. And, you know, we'll get the people who we can get to treatment to treatment. But fentanyl kind of changes the dynamic because it is so much more powerful and so much more potent that you can't simply say, well, let's try and get these people treatment. And if we can, we're going to help them out. But um, you know, unfortunately, there are going to be some people we're going to lose to this disease. Fentanyl makes the, the crisis even more pressing and more urgent mm-hmm. because it is so much more powerful. And I want to be clear about one thing. Most people who are addicted to heroin, addicted to opioids, are not choosing to do fentanyl. It is simply getting cut with the the heroin that they're doing or the the oxycontin that they're doing or whatever it, it may be no one is saying or i shouldn't say no one but very few people are saying 
I want to do something that is 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. What? It's simply making its way into the supply, and it's very hard to detect. But they get a bigger high from it, right? They if get they a bit of high. They also they also die. Right. They I also mean, die. Hey, so for I, second, I don't like just... I don't like acting like you know that that people are out there pursuing it because they could get a bigger right. high out of it. Hey Deb, I know you have to run, right. so I'm going to let you go. I thank you very much. All right. uh, uh, just before I jump, I wanted to say thanks to Ben. I think that's right. Nobody, people with addictions aren't having fun sitting in a corner. So the word high is kind of misleading. They're, they're going to go into withdrawal and die, and that's why they seek it out. Mm. Thank you. Thank bye you bye. very much, Deb. Uh, and I see that our lines are lit up here, so I'm going to take some phone calls here in just a moment. But one, one question before we do go to the phone. Uh, David Sunday wanted to address this to you. And it kind of, if if... Someone sitting back and listening to this, and they're learning about about it for the first time. It almost seems like the people who are manufacturing these drugs, these synthetic drugs especially, uh, are selling them, that are involved in the drug trade, are one step ahead of us. Whether that's law enforcement, whether that's treatment, whether whatever we, we are trying to do to fight this epidemic, it seems as though... <laughs> It's, it's too bad they don't use their imaginations and their intelligence for the good of, 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 of society. But it seems as though they're one step ahead of us all the way. I think that's extremely accurate. And, and one thing that people can't ever underestimate is the intelligence and the desire for drug dealers to make. And when I say drug dealers, I don't mean pharmaceutical companies. I'm talking about drug dealers on the street, right. cartels, to make as much money as humanly possible. And that drives them to do things that we could never imagine. People are so addicted to this drug that it also drives them to do things that no one could ever imagine. Steal Pe from parents, steal TV, right. steal from family members. Right. I mean, if you go through, I, I, I can't give you the specific number, but I will tell you that I would guess around 70%, if not greater, of all the property crimes in your county are either directly or tangentially related to drug abuse. Doesn't surprise me. The burglaries are people breaking into homes to steal things to go sell them or trade them for drugs. It happens non-stop. And with regard to the chemical compound that we find within heroin, how are we as local law enforcement able to reach beyond the border of your county and go to some faraway place and stop people from putting all kinds of different chemicals, their analogs, who knows what, into these drugs. It is next to impossible. And so everything we do is reactionary. Our coroner, Pam Gay, I mean, she's the epitome of reactionary because when something comes to her, God forbid someone's already died. And when an issue comes to me as a prosecutor, someone has already become an addict, and that sometimes takes years and years and years. They've already gone into the system. They have um, stolen something from a family member. There may have been an assault. You never know. Who knows what happened? For the first time ever in York County, over half of our DUIs, the individual also has a drug in their system. Over a half. Over half. Mm -hmm. Let's take some phone calls here. We have some people patiently waiting. Uh, Rachel is in York. Rachel, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. morning. I am a local drug and alcohol counselor here in York County, and uh, thank you for your information. I just wanted to say that um, a lot of people use drugs and alcohol for a variety of uh, reasons based on their choices, but once that drug addiction takes hold, you know, it's, it's really a brain disease, and the whole notion of uh, brain structure changing, brain function changing, um, 
is part of the education process, and a, and a lot of people think that drug addiction is a choice, and it's just, it's not, you know, it's a brain disease and should be treated as such. And, and that's part of the challenge here, Scott, that, that Rachel and Thank York you, Rachel. brings up, is, and I think that, that Jason and, and the state is hoping to address with these centers of excellence, is that so often, and it's because it, it is, uh, frankly, the easier and, and more instant gratification way to address a problem is to get tough on it and to say and point fingers. And if you uh, actually go in and sit down with a counselor and find out what is actually driving that addiction and how, how can we how can we perhaps address the more root causes so that not only you get clean, but you maintain that recovery for the rest of your life. Well, and, and let me just add to that, and, and Dave, I was going to come to you with this, and Jason, you can add too, because you've experienced this. But, uh, you know, one of the things, and this is a, a positive thing to follow up on what Ben is talking about, a positive thing that has happened over the last few years is that this is no longer just a law enforcement issue. In fact, I mean, we have Dave Sunday, an assistant district attorney, a prosecutor, sitting here talking about treatment. What can we do to help these people? Unfortunately, sometimes, as you just described, it turns into a law enforcement issue because of the addiction. But we're not just going out there and busting a lot of people, sending them to jail for possession of small amounts of, of drugs. We're trying to get them treatment. So that has been a sea change. You agree, Dave? Absolutely, it's been a it's been a, a major shift. Now, now one of the things that I do want to emphasize is the fact that we are viewing this, and when I say we, I mean everyone in law enforcement is forced in a lot of ways to view this through a different lens. And the reason for that is police officers could arrest drug dealers all day long, and it won't even put a dent. And the reason for that is four or five years ago, they would arrest a drug dealer, and that drug dealer. You now knocked out the supply for a group of individuals. In today's world, there are a plethora of smaller drug deal dealers, and you just take you just take one of them out, another one's back within an hour. And so it is it is out of necessity that this shift has been made. But through that, we've realized that there is a better way to do this. However, your viewers or your viewers, your listeners must know. I can look at the radio if they want. <laughs> your listeners, I mean, they must know that our goal in law enforcement is to find the dealers and lock them up and put them in jail. Because just like Deb said earlier, not only are we working on the demand, but we must, must, must attack the supply. And to the extent we can locally, that's what we do. And so if we find someone and, and if, if they're a dealer, then... We go after them. But it's become such a gray area, a blurry gray area between who's a dealer and who's an addict. And the reason I say that, because so many addicts deal to get heroin or just to get heroin to use. And so you may have one person who's technically a dealer who literally just goes buys one or two bags a day just to get high and shares with their friends. And then you have individuals who don't use and move large quantities of heroin and make tons and tons of money. Is one more dangerous than the other? I think that, I think they're all, the, quite frankly, I think at this point, they're, they're all dangerous, every single one. And the reason for that is, let's say, you know, let's say that Ben and I, we use every day. And to, today I score and I give, give Ben a bag and then tomorrow Ben scores and he gives me a bag and I happen to get the bag that is 
has fentanyl in it, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And so although the intent may have been different, the end result's the exact same. I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Let's take a phone call here from John in Waynesboro. John, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, good morning. Scott. And I uh, just want to say I appreciate the conversation. It's always a good uh, good show on Smart Talk. Thank you. Well, my my question and my comment, really, I want to play devil's advocate just for a second. I don't want to underplay or undermine uh, the epidemic at hand or what we're talking about today. But how does the epidemic, the new rules and regulations that the state has passed on prescription drugs, everything that we're talking about, how does this bode for the patients and the people that actually do need uh, a Vicodin or a Percocet for whatever reason. Okay, thank you very much for your call. What about that? I mean, you know, we're a lot of people, the way they talk about it is the assumption is that these painkillers aren't needed. And I think, you know, where John's coming from is there obviously are some pain, some people out there in pain who actually need these prescriptions. No question about it. Uh, Prescription pain medications are a necessary medication for many, many people. And I would simply say that for those individuals who are using prescription pain medication as prescribed by a physician, they should absolutely have no concerns about this. The prescription drug monitoring program that recently went live in Pennsylvania, which requires at this point prescribers to check it every time they write a prescription for a narcotic pain medication, will do many things, uh, many positive things as we look to attack the root uh, overprescribing issue. So. If an individual is, as we say, doctor shopping, seeing four or five different doctors for prescription pain medications, the prescription drug monitoring program will show us that. And what we want to do with that PDMP is not use it in a punitive way, but in a, in a way to say, okay, you may need treatment. And so we want to try to use that as a lever to get the person into treatment. But the person who is getting uh, 30, 60, 90 Percocets uh, for a legitimate issue from a legitimate prescriber and using it as prescribed, that person has no concerns whatsoever. Okay, let me ask you, and i, I got to do a break here in just a moment, but you were addicted to painkillers. You had never used heroin, correct? Correct. Where did you get your drugs? On the streets. How? Well, uh, I got introduced to Vicodin many years ago, and uh, I was, as I've described several times, uh, a, a person who had a uh, penchant for uh, partying. And uh, Vicodin led to introduction to OxyContin, and uh, next thing you know, I'm addicted uh, for several years. I don't make excuses or rationalize or justify my use, uh, but I would say that the overprescribing that put the glut of OxyContin on the street certainly contributed to it because, as I've described, uh, we knew when uh, prescriptions were being filled, there were people who were getting prescriptions simply to divert to the street. They, I mean, were, they were selling them. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And so it was... Uh, that that was the mechanism, uh, and it was a very expensive one. At the time, it was probably fifty dollars for an eighty milligram oxycontin. It quickly rose to a buck a milligram. You had uh, two brothers who unfortunately died of heroin overdoses. Um, sorry to hear that, but Thank you. Uh, why did you never go to heroin? Well, I think a couple of reasons. One, um, I had some means. 
I was married at the time of my addiction. I fortunately never lost uh, a job due to my addiction. Uh, I had a wife at the time who worked, and uh, so I had uh, the resources to maintain uh, my my addiction to prescription pain medication. It became very, very expensive, and believe me, I spent tens of thousands of dollars. And while I never did some of the things that those who have less than I do to support a habit like stealing and, and some of your uh, other uh, quote-unquote petty crimes. I still stole from my relationship. I stole from my marriage. I had, uh, you know, hidden credit cards, lines of credits. I cooked the books, so to speak. Uh, and so I was able to, for a long time, maintain and support that habit. I said earlier, Scott, that uh, I am not so naive as to believe that had I continued on that path, eventually I would have ended up uh, using heroin. I have no doubt about that. Near the end of my addiction, before I went to treatment, it was becoming more and more difficult for me to maintain the level I needed to. And uh, undoubtedly, like we hear many, many times, heroin was the next step because it's there and it's cheap. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. We have a few minutes left in the program. We're going to try to get to as many phone calls and emails as we can because we have some really good ones. Uh, Jason Snyder is a special, special assistant to Pennsylvania Secretary of Human Services to your county assistant, District Attorney David Sunday, and Transforming Health reporter Ben Allen. We're talking about uh, addiction. We're talking about heroin, the rash of heroin-related deaths, and uh, well, really, I guess we should say fentanyl-related deaths. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call, or, one or excuse me, uh, send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. We get a good question. This is kind of a an economic question out there. Uh, and, you know, Mark is asking, uh, explaining the cost of heroin, at least regionally, is coming down when the demand is increasing. And could better education about the risk of these prescription drugs be provided by the pharmacist directly to the patient? But let's get back to the simple economics, because usually when there is demand, you know, you can prices fluctuate. But uh, any explanation for why the price is coming down? I think that the reason. Hold on just one second there. There we go. Go ahead. Okay, I think that the reason why this is occurring is actually it's I'll say it's sort of a nefarious component in that's sort of skewing how the economic model would normally work. And what I mean by that is drug dealers, for as long as there have been drug dealers, are aware of the fact that the more people they get hooked, then the more money they're going to make. And what I have been told is that after people use heroin with fentanyl in it and survive, that they have experienced a high unlike any other. And they will go back and they will try to find that same heroin with fentanyl in it just to try to get that high. And as awful and as inhumane as that is, that is the business model. And unfortunately, what it does is they're flooding the market, they lowered the price, and they made their product one that addicts cannot walk away from. And that's what's happening right now. Right, so so in a weird way, Scott, you can afford a lower margin, if you will, because you know that the demand is never going away. So you can say, you know what, I'm going to pay a 50, take a 50% profit because that person is going to come back every single day. Yeah, and, that's and exactly it's, right. It's following the model of what a lot of successful businesses do that deal in bulk. 
that yeah. Uh, you, yeah. you sell more product. and It's, uh, it's quantity, not quality. Right, if exactly. it was quality, then fentanyl would not be a part uh, of this discussion. Uh, let's take a phone call here from Bob, and Bob is from Stanton, Virginia. Bob, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Yeah, this moved. So uh, I really don't know if I can contribute greatly to the uh, discussion because your guests have covered it so well. But I wanted to say one thing. Uh, All addictions addictions have a similar format, and that is that they're either helping a person to reduce an internal state or to amplify some deficiency within. So that's why people are addicted to anything. They're trying to fill the hole to come back to some degree of uh, equalization. And uh, years ago, I worked to help uh, create um, (laughs) getting people off methadone at a hospital down in Baltimore uh, to be unnamed. And I told them, uh, okay, your federal funding is for methadone. And if we start getting people away from methadone, uh, your funding stream dries up. And they said, that's okay, because we really want to help the patients. People started to get better, moved away from using the methadone. They shut down the program for the simple reason that their funding stream was methadone. So it's a social problem in which the fuel, the economics, as your one guest so accurately described it, is is the major cause, ultimately. Somebody's making a profit off this, and it continues to fuel it. Thank you very much for your call, Bob. And, And one thing, Scott, is that, you know, I think that what this comes back to, ultimately, is that this is a systemic problem. And to act like... Um, one bad actor caused this problem is is false. Uh, it is a number of of uh, factors that added up to create this problem. And if you want to go back, if you want to talk about the root of the problem, I mean, some people would point to the the pain becoming a fifth vital sign in the in the 90s. And then other people would point to the pharmaceutical companies. And other people would point to outdated treatment methods. And other people would point to fentanyl. I mean, the, what, what it all comes back to is this is a systemic problem. And it has been around for a number of years, and it has taken a long time to get to this point. And to Jason's point earlier, it's going to take, even with every step that the state has taken, that the federal government has taken, that other well-intentioned people have taken, it is going to take a a long time to get out of it because this addiction is so strong. This isn't like a a physical injury where you'd put a wound over it or, you know, you put a bandage over it and you're good to go. This is something that that is so deep rooted in 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 people this addiction takes over people's lives um and and it and it's heartbreaking to watch but it speaks to how difficult a solution a full comprehensive solution will be we have a caller on the line who is experiencing this himself uh, alan is in hazelton alan you're on the air Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. Um, one of the things that I have realized myself is the fact that we as the outsiders or the family member need to educate ourselves as to, okay, we ship them away for a 28-day program. They're going to be back. They're going to be okay. It doesn't work that way. I've, I've had an addict at home, and it's been very educational. Thank God for Clearbrook up in uh, Wilkes-Barre that has taken him in twice, but they also train the family. They have family weekends that come in, and they educate us, and there's been 
judges and lawyers that have been addicted that come in and talk to us and help us walk through that process of their recovery. Mm. Alan, uh, you say is this is this your son? Uh, no, um, okay. I took this young man in eight okay. years ago from a bad situation, and then he got involved in the drugs due to an auto accident. Mm. Uh, well, you know, is started he, out with Percocet. Percocet wasn't doing it, so then he got into heroin. Is he doing better? And he's doing great. All right, he's well, been good. at Suboxone yeah. almost two years now. We've had one one situation that he relapsed, but he got himself right back into Clearbrook as soon as he relapsed. Well, and he's been clean now, effective tomorrow, one complete year. Oh, well, good. That's fantastic. Yeah, best wishes uh, for your family, Alan. Thank you very much. Jason? Scott, I just wanted to add a couple of things. We've heard the number 28 thrown around a couple of times here today. Yeah, 28 days for treatment. Right, yeah. 28 days. And so sometimes we, you know, some people will say that 28 days residential is not enough. I mean, I have not really seen recent research that demonstrates that any longer uh, is any more effective. But what I would say is this. The expectation that an individual goes to residential treatment for 28 days, walks out and walks back into the same environment from which he came and is, quote unquote, cured, is certainly a fallacy. And that is one of the things that the Centers of Excellence will do. The continuum of care is critical. So if that begins at residential, it then steps down to perhaps halfway house or partial hospitalization or intensive outpatient. And then it moves to outpatient. And all along the way, these recovery supports are absolutely essential. People cannot expect 28 residential days and then go back to the same people, places, and things and think that it's going to be uh, uh, all, all taken care of. The continuum of care is critical, and medications like the last caller mentioned, Suboxone, are many times critical to engaging that person in the continuum of care. And, and Scott, here's the other thing, is we all, all of us, everyone in this room, everyone listening right now, we all bear a responsibility to support the people that are in recovery, to not stigmatize them, to not isolate them from the community, to to welcome them back and, how, and figure out a way to make them uh, to 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 make them feel feel welcome feel welcome again ben, let me, create a community let me push back for you because I, I agree with you 100 percent but something that Dave described earlier and the reason I, I bring this up because when we've had this discussion before I've, I've had callers who afterwards have asked this what about someone who's had a crime committed against them or their family by someone who was in the throes of addiction. And, and this is so difficult and I feel for those people that have that are victims of crime so difficult and you know you think about you think about the mother who is a victim of a crime from her own son right and what one mother told me is I always have to try and take a step back and separate the the crime from from the person and not think about the person that committed it but think about the disease that caused them to commit that crime and that is a, is a result it's it's helping me try and take a step back we only have a minute left dave can you say something real quick because i want to see if i can get an answer here if we could yeah real quick what what i want to say is one of the things that a prosecutor has is prosecutorial discretion and we utilize that every day across the country all prosecutors do with regard to crimes that occur when people are in the throes of addiction, it, if they are crimes of the nature in which they need to go to prison, then they will go to jail. And we have many, many different ways to help make us help to make that determination. Some crimes inherently 
you know it when you see it, they're going to jail. So if someone commits a burglary, they break into a home where you know people are there, that's a felony. And the people in that home, a lot of times, they, they are now victims. The rest of their life, they're going to be afraid. They're not going to have that feeling of comfort in their house. However, there are some smaller crimes that people may qualify for drug treatment court and things of that nature. Ben Allen will continue his coverage here on WITF. But gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks thank you very much. Tomorrow is our last live show of 2016. Donna, uh, Chef Donna Desfour will be with us tomorrow.